One of the statistics that I was completely blown by is how a lot of sex workers felt like there was a huge undereducation of what a dental dam is, that they were in these situations and having to explain what a dental dam was to their clientele. <laughs> Welcome to the Controversial Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie. This podcast takes deep dives in today's most controversial topics, and today we are discussing sex work. More specifically, decriminalizing versus legalizing sex work, and just kind of getting into the, all the nuances of what it is. I brought on an amazing guest, Goddess Ambrosia, uses they-them pronouns, by the way, a non-binary financial dominatrix who specifically kind of works online, and we get super into detail about legalizing versus decriminalizing, what it's looked like in different countries, what the best representation of that has been, what exactly sex work is, and I get to ask them a bunch of questions that you guys submitted to me at the end, so super worth the listen. I'm really, really excited for this episode. Um, before we get going, I wanted to do a couple of house cleaning things, uh, just some clarifications that I think that we need. One, I was recently on the Kami Tea podcast and we had a great conversation about sustainability. We've also talked about sustainability on this podcast a whole bunch. And I think one thing that I might have not made very clear is I say a lot to email your local or email big corporations, email the people that you, you know, contribute from, that you buy from all the time and get your voice heard. And people I might have construed it as that's the only thing you can do or that's the only thing that you should be doing or the only thing that we can do. And that's not the case whatsoever. I think that we also need to be taxing uh, large corporations and holding our legislators accountable to be implementing those legislations, to implementing those laws for taxing large corporations like taxing Amazon or taxing the meat and dairy industry. We need to be implementing green taxes on organizations or, or on corporations that are doing the most environmental degradation, the most environmental damage. Um, so there, there are things beyond emailing, but emailing is the thing that is attainable for anybody to do. And that's why I talk about it all the time. Um, and maybe I didn't make that quite clear enough. So I just wanted to clarify that it, there is more than just having your voice heard, obviously. There is more to go into it than just emailing. If you have the energy, if you have the ability, you can talk to your local representatives, you can talk to your local government and say that you want to see corporations being taxed. That just takes a little bit more of your time, a little bit more of your energy than sending an email could. So that's just the first little clarification that I want us to make is that I'm not just saying that that's the only thing that we should be doing or the only thing that should happen. There's obviously much more that goes in beyond that. Um, but as it stands, we are already looking to start taxing corporations and start taxing the meat and dairy industry for a uh, green tax, so to say. So it's kind of already under the way. I think those corporations just need to hear the public voice. So that's where those emails come into play. The second thing that we need to clarify is last episode, I was talking about my background. It was an episode all about my background. Uh, and I was discussing how I was in a toxic relationship at the time of my burnout. And then I continued to talk about uh, my current relationship. And I didn't make the distinction that I had ended the toxic relationship before beginning this very healthy, wonderful relationship. So I just wanted to clarify that I'm not currently in a toxic relationship, that <laughs> I've moved past that. My relationship currently is wonderful and amazing. And I am so, so extremely 
uh, I don't want to use the word blessed because I can't, that sounds wrong, but uh, extremely fortunate and extremely grateful for the relationship that I am in now, the healthy, communicative, wonderful relationship that I have now. So quick distinction there. <laughs> Let's talk about today's episode because it is a doozy. It is so important. This this subject is so important. Um, Goddess Ambrosia makes an amazing analogy in this that I we hope that you get to because it really kind of drove home the whole subject for me. But it really is just talking about how criminalizing sex work has made it really dangerous and kind of why. Uh, if you would like to see the outline for this episode and which has our talking points as well as our resources, and I highly, highly recommend that you do. It is available publicly on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McKenzie. And while you're there, of course, consider subscribing. The lowest tier, the baby anchor tier, you get two additional podcasts per month, and they tend to be more mature, uh, more kind of fun adult content uh, or adult themed content. Goddess Ambrosia agreed to come back onto the podcast for a private episode to have a very kinky episode. Uh, So I would recommend subscribing because that is absolutely worth your $3. And of course, there are other tiers with other benefits. One of the best benefits, I should say, is that you get access to the Discord. In the Discord, we have an amazing community. We have conversations every day. We talk in depth about the things that are brought up on the podcast, both publicly and privately. Just a great benefit is being in the Discord. So definitely, definitely check it out. And when you're looking at the outline for today, I highlighted a resource. It's a study from the University of Otago, which is in New Zealand, um, and is the impact of the Prostitution Reform Act on the health and safety practices of sex workers. It is a lengthy, in-depth look and study at what the impact of the Prostitution Reform Act has done in New Zealand. But in the first 20 or so pages, they get in-depth about different countries and how decriminalizing and legalizing has looked in different countries and how it has affected different countries and there are statistics and as you will learn in this podcast finding sex work statistics is really really difficult so this is a great place to find all of that that you have a little bit of that nuance that you need for this subject so I highlighted that one as a resource that you should definitely definitely check out Um, so when you look at the outline, we definitely look for that one. There are some other great, great resources on the outline, but that is the number one that I highly recommend that you check out. Now, I know you're really excited for this episode, as am I, because Goddess Ambrosia is a fucking goddess. So I'm going to stop talking and let's just dive right in. All right, and I'm so dang excited to have today Goddess Ambrosia with us. I want to give you the space to introduce yourself because you are an absolute badass from beginning of the day to the end of the day, all night through, just this incredible human being. So tell us a little bit about yourself and especially where everybody can find you. Well, thank you. Um, I'm really happy to be here. My name is Goddess Ambrosia and I work as an online dominatrix. Um, so I mainly do, I produce a variety of feminine content. You can find me on OnlyFans with that. And I will also have new sites coming this year. Ooh. Ooh la la. Ooh. <laughs> so I do a wide variety of femdom content. And I do, you know, traditional sex work content. And I also discuss my work as a sex worker and also just kind of kink in general um, on a variety of social media platforms. So you can find me on both Twitter and on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And your TikTok, unfortunately, just got the first one got banned. So you do have a second one that is up. It did. It's technically my third if we're, 
oh, it's okay. They hate me. <laughs> uh, I am so shocked that my account hasn't gotten banned yet. So don't worry. I I'm so happy it hasn't. We would miss you. <laughs> the amount of times that TikTok's like giving me warnings, I'm like, okay, I'll listen. I swear, and then I just continue with what I'm doing. <laughs> what I mean, do you? Uh, clearly, a lot of people like it. <laughs> Also, I have a lot of hate followers, but that's a different story. I think we all do. I think every powerful feminine feature has fucking hate followers. Like, that's just going to happen. If you are feminine presenting and have a strong opinion, you're going to have people that are going to follow you and be like, I need to dispel everything you say. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love it when it's the same person who comments on like 70 different videos, like the exact <laughs> same thing. I'm like, great, feed my creator fund. Make me my money. <laughs> See, um, I don't care. Like, I don't care about your opinion. I don't even know you. <laughs> I love it too, but it's just like a person with no profile picture, just like continually commenting. You're like, you really, you're up in here with no nothing. <laughs> yeah, you must be really fun at parties. You have a very lively social life, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so today we are kind of diving into sex work, what it means, and legalizing versus decriminalizing it. Um, when I first approached you about this, I was like, obviously very pro legalization and you said uh, I I am more pro decriminalizing oh. than legalizing and I think as somebody who is not part of the industry necessarily like obviously I have a lot of sex worker friends and I support and I try and you know retweet and and like the comment content and try and put it out there and and be a good ally but as a person who's not necessarily directly in the sex work industry I think from an outside perspective you think of decriminalizing and legalizing and it looks kind of nice like legalizing looks like this pretty little thing you know you could have people with regulations and health checks and all of that but when I've just started doing reading into it it became very obvious that that's kind of not what happens. Um, but before we get into that, I want to maybe ask you if you could explain to us what exactly sex work is or means. Yeah, of course. So a sex worker is really anybody who sells a good or service of a sexual nature for money or gifts. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a wide variety of people. So it's people who do full service work, which is exchanging various sexual acts for money, which most of the world criminalizes. Um, but it's also legal work, too. It's porn stars, cam girls, strippers, dominatrixes, even people who, like, work at sex shops. Yeah. I, like, sometimes I, I wonder where we draw the line of what is a sex worker and what isn't. Because, like, like you just said, somebody who works at a sex shop, um, like, I've been a boudoir model a lot. That is, you know, nude photography. Like, are we, is that clumped into sex work or is are those kind of sex work adjacent, sex work parallel? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it can really be either. Um, a lot of it is how you personally define it and how it personally makes you feel. Because okay. um, yeah, some people who work in a sex shop may consider themselves a sex worker and some don't. Um, and I think in that situation, either makes a lot of sense. For me personally, I, I don't want to be called, or I don't, not that I would be offended if somebody called me a sex worker, I would be like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I don't put that title on myself because I don't think that I put the work in that, that it elicits or that it entails, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I do a couple really pretty shoots that, you know, you get to, that are, that are tasteful and like this like beautiful nudie that I like love to express. I love that, but I don't think that one or two shoots of, of every other month is the work that you put in on a daily basis so that's why that's where I get like the the distinction between it because I wouldn't want to take that title when it's so much more than than a title it is it is everyday work <laughs> that goes into it 
if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really, it's a sliding scale for sure with things. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, a lot of it is your own personal judgment on things. Mm-hmm. For some people in that position, they may consider themselves part of the industry or they may not. And either is totally fine. Some people, yeah. sex work, for some people, they do sex work, you know, once or twice in their life when they are in a really dire situation and they just need the finances very quickly. Um, some people, it's consistent, but more casual, maybe once a week doing something. And for some people, it's, you know, 12 plus hours a day, seven days a week. That's insane. Well, I'm glad for the cl- clarification because I, I think that there is kind of a stigma about what it means as well. And to break the, to break that stigma, you know, I think that sex work, again, is work and it's really difficult work. And if you do it once or twice, or if you do it one month or another, it is work that you've put in and that you deserve credit for. I don't know. I think it's very admirable work as on top of that. So it's something that I take or try and take seriously, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. when it's appreciated. <laughs> so as we're talking about sex work, one of the things that I found really difficult is that sex work is notoriously difficult to find statistics for. It's really difficult to find a consensus to actually get data on and not speculatory data, you know, actual numbers. It is very notoriously difficult. So as we're having this conversation, I want everyone that's listening to also keep that in mind that this is with data that we can accumulate. This is with the stuff that we can find, that it's really difficult to actually have true numbers because for one of the stigma, because of the decriminalization of it, or because of the criminalization of it, I should say. Um, And again, yeah, because of the stigma that a lot of people aren't gonna come forward with these numbers. So though we have some, because we have some countries now that have decriminalized it or legalized it, we still don't have a good understanding of how many sex workers there are worldwide, what that means, how, how much sex trafficking that, that goes on, where that line gets blurred. There is, it's very, very, very difficult to find the actual data of who came into the industry voluntarily and who was trafficked into the industry. And that's kind of a big issue when we start to talk about legalizing and decriminalizing is one of the ways that it has been decriminalized before, that line of some people came in voluntarily and some people came in not voluntarily doesn't exist. It's just everybody came in <laughs> non-voluntarily, everybody's being trafficked, and they don't take into consideration the people that do this because it's something that they are passionate about. They voluntarily come into it and they want that career. So again, it, it really goes under-talked about or under-researched, and it's really difficult to research. So Again, keep that in mind as we have this conversation. We're going to try and talk about it the best we can. We have somebody who's very much in this industry and gets to talk to us about it in a way that is, uh, you know, from an insider perspective. But there's only so much that we have. And that's unfortunate in a lot of ways. It really does hinder progress to have such little data on an industry that is so fucking large. So the, let's jump into what the difference between legalizing and decriminalizing is just kind of in general, and then we can get into the nitty gritty of it. But of course, legalizing would mean kind of government controlled, right? It would be something that is governmentally sanctioned and regulated by the government, whereas decriminalizing just means it's not a crime. <laughs> it kind of becomes like a regular job sometimes. There, that's the kind of catch is that there's been different ways of quote unquote decriminalizing sex work around the world. So it just kind of the removal of 
those laws or any like any sex work related laws typically but that's not always how it's planned out do you want to tell us why from your perspective you would pick decriminalizing yeah so i mean there's a lot that goes into that um the first is that to legalize i'm sorry about my dog Um, okay um but with legalization what happens is that the industry becomes highly regulated and most of the people who are in a survival situation with sex work where they need immediate money and they already are not making a lot and living in poverty, doing it legally becomes unobtainable. Mm-hmm. It takes, it's expensive to meet the regulations needed to do it legally. And it also takes a lot of time for all the permits and everything to get passed. Mm-hmm. And so it basically segregates sex work into legal and then just kind of doing it backdoor and yeah. still not being able to meet the requirements to do it legally. Yeah. What made me have this shift of understanding when I was looking at decriminalizing and legalizing was that legalizing, when it was implemented, has helped some and then really, really, really harmed others. Like, instead of it being this middle ground where kind of everything is advancing together, the industry gets to kind of step up together, it's half, or not even half, like 20% are getting a really good benefit and the other 80 are getting absolutely screwed. Um, And that does, like you said, come down to it being regulations. Um, In places like Austria, they had mandated uh, health checkups, which is difficult, right? It's a weekly checkup that you need to do. It's It's not being provided for you for one it's that you need to do and to prove to the government so that you can have your registration and so that becomes something that only the people that have access to a doctor and healthcare can do so that's a very small percentage of the people and then the rest of the people can't find those doctors or can't have access to those things so they're not getting those uh, their registration they're they're not being sanctioned by the government so then they're doing it in a way that's far more dangerous than original. Legalization sounds good in theory. I think I think in theory it really does for anybody who's kind of on the outside looking in, but in practice it just didn't fall through or didn't work very well. Definitely. It it looks good on paper. It sounds good until you start talking to the people who have lived that and can voice all of the different parts of it that haven't worked and it basically is what you said. It comes down to it taking too much time and it costing too much. It takes time to constantly have to go to the doctor. And if you're somebody who has a family needing to provide childcare for them, when you have to go to the doctor every week, having all of the paperwork and the registrations and everything costs a lot of money and take a lot of time. It allows for you know wealthy brothel owners to succeed and thrive and flourish. And everybody else who is anywhere from living at a decent wage with it to being in full-blown poverty gets screwed. They get absolutely screwed. And it's the most marginalized parts of the community that end up in that boat. And a lot of the time, it's, like I said, most marginalized. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does fall on the people that are the most marginalized, absolutely. And, and like, you, like you just said, it, the wealthy brothel owners make money, but then they also get to exploit their workers. A lot of the times we... They would, we would, I would see in the reports that were coming from um, like the Netherlands and Austria, places that have, or I guess Netherlands has full legalization. They have brothels and, regu- and designated areas, but like Austria and Sweden and Norway, that's what I meant to say, not Netherlands, Norway, where they have the Nordic model. That's it. That's the one. They have the Nordic model and the Sex Buyer Act or the Sex Buyer Law. That's what you see is that because brothel owners have to pay a certain amount have to pay for their registration, have to have these things. They end up exploiting the workers that work there or charging 
paying them more and basically having their workers pay for their registration on top of the workers paying for their own registration. So it just becomes this really tireless thing for the workers. Yes, and the Nordic model is flawed in a lot of ways. And like what you were talking about with the brothels, it really gives air to things like pimping too, because certain things with the Nordic model are so strictly controlled that, um, and because the buyers themselves are the ones being criminalized and not mm -hmm. those selling, um, it often means that workers there either have to lower their prices on things because there are less buyers interested now, or they're able, or they're like having to do sexual things they may not really be comfortable with um, to be able to still make the money that they need, or they end up going to a pimp as a manager of sorts to try and get more clients. Just to, just to clarify for anybody who doesn't understand what the Nordic model slash the sex buyer law is, they're very similar in kind of practice, but basically it is a form of decriminalizing where the sex worker is decriminalized, but the person paying for sex is criminalized. So it, it's like an opposite kind of thing. It's no longer the, the sex worker that's the one that's being at fault. It's the person who's paying for it. But that comes into play, as you just said, people are that you have to lower your rates or you have to do it in a place that's more dangerous because the client is afraid that they're going to be caught. So now the client is like, we need to go somewhere more secluded, which is so much more dangerous for the worker. And I think the biggest flaw that I kind of mentioned earlier about these, and this is just, again, my outsider perspective looking in, but the biggest flaw that I saw was that these are based off of the idea that sex work is inherently wrong, that it's not a good thing, that it's morally corrupt, that it's men abusing women. Like that's the whole premise of this, this Nordic law is that it is, it's a bad thing, men abusing women. It, anti-fem like it's anti-feminism and like this whole thing that goes into it when that's not what it is at all absolutely and it's it makes the idea that everybody who is a part of the sex work industry is is trafficked into it which is very mm -hmm. harmful to blur the line between sex work and sex trafficking because there are so many people who choose this line of work and for some people they choose it out of survival needs and it's not their first choice and they do it out of need but a lot of people really love it mm -hmm. i very much enjoy my job and i don't think any part of this industry should be illegal because it's, like you said, it's operating off of the idea that nobody would choose this and that it's morally wrong and that's just not correct. And it also doesn't work. There's yeah. no evidence that the Nordic model has decreased the demand for selling sex whatsoever. No, it, they've, they've, they've seen that it didn't decrease or from the studies that I read, again, data is really hard to come by. From the studies that I read, they saw that it, saw that it didn't decrease the want of sex work it just displaced where it was sold so it became yes. places where it sold much more discreetly or online in these kind of like back alley doors online which it becomes really unsafe for the sex worker themselves exactly and with that with a lot it prohibits like selling sex on the street and like mm -hmm. mentioning it in public so a lot of times people will go to like there are reports in a lot of other countries of like people selling sex in the woods which is incredibly dangerous and it really it puts even more of a strain on street work um mm -hmm. and what will happen a lot of the time is i know in some places they won't allow you to have two or more people working alone 
or working together. So that way you end up having to work alone, which puts you at a greater risk instead of being able to have a companion with you. And the other really, really major issue with that is because the seller or sorry, the buyer is still at such a great risk and can be arrested and fined for it. The buyers don't want to give out their personal info. They don't want to give out their name. They don't want to give out their address or their phone number. And so it makes it a lot more dangerous for the sellers because sellers want to be able to do things like have a background check, be able to do a little bit of info on the person first, make sure they don't have, you know, domestic abuse charges, know what they're getting themselves into to decide if it's a safe client or not. But with the Nordic model, clients don't want to give that info. And like you were talking about too, with uh, going and selling online, that got a lot more limited in the United States after SESTA-FOSTA was passed, which is a whole other. (laughs) Interesting. Um, I I would love to circle back to that because that's something that you could greatly teach us about. I think that was amazing. I just wanted to finish this decriminalizing thing. Yes, not trying to with saying off topic. um, Yeah, I just wanted to, this is the big point that I wanted to conclude. And I think we've said it a couple of times, but I think it needs to be said explicitly that the buyer is charged the same whether the seller was voluntarily put into the situation or not voluntarily put into the situation. So it a thousand percent blurs the line between sex work that was that somebody wants to be doing and sex trafficking. And that is so fucked up and gross. It grosses me the fuck out. (laughs) The fact that they can even be compared is pretty atrocious. The fact that they can be a bit compared. Oh my gosh. Like, Like the fact that it's just the same thing in their eyes is wild. That is wild. You're going to charge somebody the same for a consensual act versus somebody who is basically paying to rape someone. Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, tells a lot about the government, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so tell us about what, what you were just saying about the United States and how sex work online has become more difficult. Ooh, <laughs> it's become a lot more difficult. So uh, a bill was signed under the Trump administration called SESTA-FOSTA. And basically it was a bill that was written with the intent of combating online sex trafficking. And that just isn't really what it did. The bill basically holds websites accountable for the activities that happen on them, which hadn't previously been in place. So it caused a lot more online censorship in general. So that's like, for example, why Tumblr doesn't have adult content on it anymore is because of the SESTA-FOSTA bill. But SESTA-FOSTA, basically a lot of websites got deleted. Um, So websites like Backpage, or the Craigslist personal section. Um, Before the bill was even fully passed, both of those websites just deleted themselves off of the internet. Yeah. But a big part of what happened with that too is all of the websites that sex workers use to screen their clients, to be able to do background checks, to read reviews from other providers, to get feedback and know if they're safe or not, those were all deleted too. So it created an environment that's a lot more difficult for online sex workers to survive. And even client or sex workers who are not online based, but just use the internet as a tool for when meeting people in person, it really hurt them. And it put a lot of people in a position where they kind of had to do street work when they hadn't been previously, which is substantially more dangerous. Like being a sex worker is a very dangerous job. It's statistically more dangerous than being a firefighter, a coal miner, or a cop. And you are 18 times more likely to get murdered than your counterpart in another job. So it a lot of sex workers in that significantly more dangerous position and even sex workers like myself who were less affected by it i do not do full service Um, i work online that affected a lot of things payment apps so like i cannot use paypal or cash app or venmo or anything like that it's against their terms so it 
really messed up lines of income for a lot of different people. And it also put more strenuous regulations on the websites that we do have designated for adult content with the credit card processors and how all of that worked. So besides using OnlyFans as a, a form of payment, because I'm assuming that's kind of the base one, right? That's kind of the like mm-hmm. the big guy. Is there anything else that you can use? Because I know that like PayPal is not sex worker friendly. Like they're all kind of becoming this very exclusionary, exclusive, is that the correct word? They're just becoming exclusionary. Un- exclusionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're, they're becoming un- like unusable for people who rely on them for a lot of time so have you been able to kind of work around it or is it just kind of really fucked business yes <laughs> is the answer <laughs> wow. um it definitely yeah it definitely uh makes doing online sex work a lot harder um but there are ways around it for sure mm-hmm. i always recommend when i'm giving people any sort of industry advice that they only accept payments through adult websites okay. so you can use places like OnlyFans. they're also um like adult video buying sites, like I want clips or many vids or AVN stars that you can use as well. And I like those because they, it's not against terms of service, obviously, to use mm-hmm. them for sex work. So you can actually do it like legally. Um, and they also have like chargeback protection. Most websites, if a customer for some reason decides to be like a dick and cancel their credit card order or whatever, um, or like try and dispute the charge, they'll normally protect you with that, which is nice. Because what happens a lot of the time um, when you use payment apps is, one, it is directly against their terms of service. Like, it is just blankly written out um, in their terms when you sign up. But what will happen a lot of the time is um, if you have a customer who either gets disgruntled for any reason or just, you know, like, comes and then regrets spending money, um, they often will try and send a dispute to the payment app. And what will happen is you know, they'll give the person their money back pretty much 100% of the time. And often the person will tell on you for being a sex worker and they'll just shut your whole account down and any money that's in your account is gone. I know people who have lost like thousands and thousands of dollars over that happening and it just kind of sucks. But you can also do things like um, using Bitcoin is a good recommendation for people. Um, A lot of people also will take payment through like Amazon gift cards, which you still can have your account shut down for sex work. It's a lot less common though. Okay to happen with Amazon. I'm sorry. That's just so shitty. Like, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Thanks. It's uh, not my favorite. No, Especially because yeah. all those websites take a percentage of your money too. So it's yeah. not just like, oh, no worries. We'll go through this website instead. It's like, okay, we'll use this website and they'll take, you know, 20 to 30%. That's wild. And that's so unfortunate. And that's almost like taking steps back to, from where we're trying to go of possibly decriminalizing it. It's literally just taking steps in the opposite direction in a progressive country. It just makes it harder. <laughs> Definitely. And it like, Sesta Pasta made things a lot harder for sex workers in general. But also like, it didn't even remotely do what the bill set out to do. And before they even enacted it, a bunch of people talked about how it wasn't going to work and it wasn't going to stop online sex trafficking. Like the Freedom Network USA opposed it because it pretty much erases the digital footprint of all of the stuff that's been happening with sex trafficking. And it made it a lot harder for them to find victims. Like it did a lot more harm than it did good. And it's something that's still obviously enacted today. Yes. And it was, the bill was actually very widely supported. So it garnished support pretty much unanimously from both Democrats and Republicans, which does make sense because nobody wants to seem like they're in favor of sex trafficking. trafficking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But also I know there were changes made to the bill after a lot of people had already come out and publicly supported it too. So 
it was kind of just a whole weird sleazy situation in general. Kamala Harris actually co-sponsored that bill. Kamala, of course she did. Oh, of course she did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, like, I'm, like, re- so ready to start holding Joe Biden and Kamala Harris accountable for all of their shit. But we have to get to January 1st. Like, let's I get... Know. Oh, my God. Let's it get, can't be fast enough. <laughs> let's get to January 1st. Let's get past this <laughs> fucking, like, conspiracy theory. The election was rigged bullshit that's currently going on. Oh, my God. I still can't believe the last four years weren't rigged. Like, I'm still waiting for Ashton Kutcher to jump out and just tell me that I'm being punked. And it hasn't happened yet. And it's... <laughs> like, how is, how's these... Ooh, practical joke, right? Oh, honestly, and you're 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 lying when you said seventy million people voted for Trump, right? Like this term, like that's a that's a lie, right? Like we're we're joking. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I I wish I I seriously okay. wish I was debating with somebody today about um I know this is very left wing off topic, but I was debating about uh, world veganism how it wouldn't be plausible, and he was like, it, it is plausible, and I was like, how is it plausible? I was like, how are you going to convince people? How are you going to convince people to go vegan and he was like well you just will and i was like 70 million people voted for trump like <laughs> 70 million people voted for trump and you think that you're gonna convince them to go vegan for the planet shut the fuck up <laughs> every single person alive especially people uh in climates where that's really not accessible oh uh, it was just it was one of those things where i was like, you, like did the, the last four years not show you anything have you <laughs> Have you not been a part of this? Because you don't realize how ignorant everyone is, <laughs> how stubborn everybody is. Exactly, exactly. Like seventy even seventy million people were like, "Yep." That's so many people to be yep. that. Okay, okay. Yeah. We're like, yeah, let's do it again. That 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 worked really well the first time. Oh my god! Absolutely. All right, sorry. To bring us back on track, I think that we should maybe kind of talk about something that's a, a benefit for the sex for the sex work industry, at least from what I read or understood. Again, outsider's perspective, just researching this topic, and that's of course New Zealand. And any report that I read kind of just said New Zealand was almost the like pinnacle of what of what to do. Uh, that they went about it in a way that has been the most beneficial of any way that anybody has gone about it so far. Um, it may not be like the perfect way. There's probably still things that are, that's only got enacted, I believe, in 2013 or 14. I can't remember exactly when the Prostitution Reform Act came into play. It might have been 2014, but that's obviously not enough years for us to collect data on exactly how well it worked. Um, but from what they've seen so far, there has been quite a lot of uh, positive progress. Um, and that's, of course, with it being decriminalized just kind of in general. It's, it's, it's not a crime for anybody. Um, sex trafficking is still a crime. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a distinction between sex work and sex trafficking for one. So that's like already... As there should be. <laughs> already, already big box checked off, like the number one thing that we need to be dealing with here. <laughs> so we already have that kind of... Um, going into play is that there definitely is a distinction between the two. Um, and then, of course, it is decriminalized, which basically makes it legal, just not legalized as in not sanctioned under the government. It's legal as in it's illegal like any other job, right? It's they manage themselves. They uh, kind of- There's do- no laws directly prohibiting yeah, buying no or the selling effects. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And there are um, 
like a couple small things where it's like there is certain areas where you can uh, do street work. Like they have designated areas for street work, which uh, there has been some kind of critique of that because that in previous areas has shown to be kind of har harmful for some sex workers because it goes, means they have to go out of their way to go to these designated areas and then of course travel back that's kind of dangerous for a person um and there tend to be in like less populated areas so you're not kind of getting the same amount of you know clientele that you would be wanting to say on a people walking through that you'd be wanting to um so that was one of the small things that kind of they were critiquing but as far as anything else it was it's seems like it was the best that anybody has done so far kind of globally um, especially even like indoor workers are protected they have employment protection they have they have employee rights as actual workers which i think is so phenomenal because of course sex work is work and you should be getting benefits for it you should be getting health coverage and uh being able to report your clientele right like that's a big thing is that these workers are now able to uh, deny clientele and if the clientele gets crazy they're able to report clientele and it's not a you know negative thing or becomes dangerous it becomes a i'm not doing this you need to leave <laughs> yeah which is how it should be everywhere which is but how it should be everywhere i agree i think uh new zealand has definitely done the best so far decriminalization from everything we've seen with them doing it and just kind of studies in general it's the best fit it's what people who are actually part of the industry want and mm -hmm. preach for um and i know in new zealand too the violence against women has decreased since they implemented that which is awesome um and it just it really it kind of fixes all of the issues that happen with criminalization like it makes the job significantly safer because clients no longer hold the power of i can do anything i want to you and you won't be able to say anything it really makes it so the clients have to be held accountable. So that way, if they rob somebody or sexually assault them or beat them, people can actually go to the police about it, which is amazing. Yeah. And previously, it's you can't go to the police about a John who's acting up in any way. And also, in so many places where sex work is fully criminalized, sex workers face major harassment and rape from police anyway. And so it helps keep them safer on that front, too. Yeah, that, that, that was one of the things that I noted was that they had uh, seen a positive uh, relationship change between sex workers and police in New Zealand, that before the uh, Prostitution Reform Act became into play, there was obviously a very negative relationship between sex workers and police, and now Absolutely. that is a much more positive uh, encounter and the only times that there's negative encounters is not necessarily the sex worker but maybe like the brothel owner or the manager or kind of the liaison they might get a little bit more tossed around um, than they were intending to but it the sex workers themselves feel safer i guess yeah definitely a massive pro yeah definitely massive pro i think <laughs> cops are cops we're not gonna be we're not <laughs> We're not saying we, we're, we're, we're here for the cops, but um, I think that having a relationship that is positively moving towards uh, a, just a better relationship between law enforcement, because obviously we need some sort of law enforcement to a certain degree. I think that we need a lot more education and reform. I did note that Amnesty International called um, Austria's way of having people um, 
do these health, weekly health checkups as like a human rights violation, which I found really, really intriguing because I obviously the reason why I originally thought legalization was like the right path was so that people are getting, in my perfect world, it would be health checks that are paid for and given to by the government that are accessible. <laughs> That's obviously not what happens. Um, the ideal, that would be nice. No, no, in the, in the ideal little world, in my, in my, my, perfect world that's what goes on um that's obviously not what actually happens in in practice um but why do you think that it is more important for it to be on the worker to make them make sure that they are being safe and that their clientele is being safe rather than for it to be a regulated thing yeah that's a good question i would have to really ponder that a little bit i think Part of it is like safety is very subjective so what one person may consider safe to work another may not and since sex work is so often work done by people who are chronically ill or disabled i feel like that would throw a lot of people who are already doing this work because of their health issues in a situation where someone from the outside might look in and go oh no your health isn't good enough to do this job and then leave them high and dry yeah that makes sense. That totally makes sense. I do like how, I believe in New Zealand, they have it regulated where like protection and stuff is um, like mandatory, which I think is interesting. I don't know how, where the human li- human rights violation comes in, where it's, we're requiring you to have protection, but we're not requiring you to get tested. That feels like a weird gray area. Because I know that a lot of the people that go without protection are, or statistically wise that I from what I the statistics that I was reading um, were male sex workers or transgender sex workers will be more likely to be influenced to go without protection but that they can say that it's you know New Zealand law that you have to use protection um, so it's kind of a weird gray area that like you you can say you must use protection but you can't say you must be tested <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can get how that blurs for sure yeah I can also kind of see, though, like, I honestly would want to do more research on it before I, like, said anything definitively, but Mm -hmm. I feel like getting tested, one, it takes more time, and it's more costly than just a condom, Um, and it also is a lot more invasive for a lot of people versus just kind of opening a wrapper, sliding on a condom, and then having your chances of STDs drastically drop from just that simple act. Yeah. And one of the statistics that I was completely blown by is how a lot of sex workers felt like there was a huge undereducation of what a dental dam is, that they were in these situations and having to explain what a dental dam was to their clientele. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I think goes back, goes kind of goes back to we need more funding in education about these uh, these subjects, um, because really we're just getting taught like condom, penis, and vagina. End of story. <laughs> yes, and, definitely. There's not very comprehensive sex education in a lot of parts of the world, and especially with dental dams, since I I believe they would be most commonly used in the queer community, mm-hmm. and I think that there's even less sex education around the queer community absolutely absolutely i was just having this conversation with somebody and i was saying we we teach sex ed as in a male and a female do this deed and that's it and we should be teaching it as bodies that have sex with bodies and how bodies can safely have sex with other bodies um and we don't do that and therefore we don't talk about dental downs um and a a little factoid about me that i always say that's 
weird and inappropriate is that I was having sex with women before <laughs> I knew what a dental dam was, um, which I think is wild, wild. That I was just like up licking pussy with no idea what it was. <laughs> I think a lot of uh, women loving women are in that boat, honestly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and so, I mean, it's a small thing that there obviously needs to be better education uh, for when it comes down to decriminalization. If we want this full implemented decriminalization like they have in New Zealand, which has been hugely beneficial and is what kind of everybody in the industry is saying we should be doing, then we also need to be putting the effort into the education so that we're protecting our sex workers in that regard too, that you're not being put into a situation where somebody become odd or violent or however you may, however it may be, you know, with decriminalization needs to obviously come much better and much more comprehensive education. (laughs) Absolutely. I think there needs to be a lot more discussion around sex work in general. It's a topic that is so shied away from Mm -hmm. and I mean a lot of the reason why people shy away from it so much is one just kind of our culture around sex but also because it's illegal and so the people who are experiencing the work and living it and have you know the best ideas surrounding it and the biggest voice in it aren't going to come forward because they are afraid of the repercussions and just talking about it more is good having it be a comfortable conversation and not something so taboo and yeah like you were saying discussing decriminalization versus legalization and what that means and what that looks like and why decriminalization is the best end goal. And also just talking about why criminalization is so harmful Mm -hmm. and why it shouldn't exist. And the correct form of decriminalization. I want to like <laughs> asterisk that yes, with full, like, decrim. full yeah, decriminalization. Full decriminalization and with a distinction between sex work and sex trafficking. Um, that's yeah. obviously really important. And some countries just skipped over that little fact. <laughs> the way sex work is criminalized too ultimately hurts people who are being sex trafficked. Mm-hmm. Uh, And it puts people in a position of, you hear stories of like somebody's getting sex trafficked and the place they're being sex trafficked gets busted for drugs and they want to tell the police what's going on, but then they're worried that they'll instead just get charged with prostitution. And a lot of people are worried about being seen as somebody who's choosing to do full service Mm -hmm. when they're really being trafficked and having that be disputed. Or even people who don't do full service work and they do legal forms of sex work because how uh, street work is treated or full service in general, they're still afraid of having any connotation with the industry and it still becomes more dangerous for them. Yeah. I mean, the the stigma harms sex workers, not just in a like everyday life, but also down to them going to the doctor and not reporting to the doctor what they do because they're afraid of their doctor treating them differently or not getting the proper, you know, services that they need from their doctor because their doctor, because of the stigma. There's a lot of health risks that come with it. Like we were saying, not being honest with the doctor and not being able to get the proper like checkups and precautionary things you can do before you go into work is major. Um, But also uh, in places, some places where um, sex work is fully criminalized, like even in New York, if you carry condoms with you and you're arrested, a lot of the times that will be used as proof that you um, are a prostitute. And because condoms can be used as proof, a lot of workers have to choose whether they want to have safe sex or whether they want to be safe getting to work. And so it really, you know, just makes it a breeding ground for STDs when it shouldn't have to be that way. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you read about that happening, like um, the same law is in place in Kenya 
and everyone's like, oh, that's so weird, but not, not in America. And it's like, no, in New York, in New York, if a cop arrests you and you have condoms, that can be used as proof that you are soliciting yourself. So it puts sex workers in the bind of, do you wear a condom and keep yourself safe? Or do you keep yourself safe from police and go without? Oh, my head hurts. Yeah. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. That's unreal. How can you- and on that note too, like it makes it makes it worse whenever people are profiled because a lot of people are unjustly profiled as sex workers who are not even involved in sex working. Specifically, black trans women it happens to quite frequently, and something as simple as having a condom in your wallet with you can end people in jail and have them get booked and go through the entire system. And it's, uh, it's sick. It's really gross. Absurd. Yeah. My, that like hurt my head. That that's just wild. And I, and that goes on. And the United States, one of the quote unquote most progressive countries in the world. Like, oh, what are you fucking talking about? Oh my gosh. Well, before we move on to some questions that uh, people had for you from my followers, do you have any other things that you would love to touch upon when it comes to these things of decriminalizing and legalizing? Some anything that's also that's important for us to address? Because um, I, you know, I definitely changed my perspective just from the research that I did, and I hope that people listening uh, can better understand the the subject. But is there anything that we should definitely just like drive home? <laughs> Um, I think just kind of reiterating um, what we were talking about earlier with the Nordic model of the idea that nobody ever willingly chooses to do sex work and that it is an inherently morally wrong thing. It's just so wrong. (laughs) It's so wrong. Um, I think it's just really important for people to remember that everybody who does sex work is on a scale with it. There are some people who do it purely out of survival means who would rather be anywhere else and are doing it to scrape by. And there are people who it's very much a standard job for them. They make about average wage. They don't necessarily love it or hate it. It's just going to work for them. And then there are people who feel empowered and amazing and motivated in their work. And it's good to remember that there are people who want to be here and that criminalizing the industry doesn't make it go away. It, sex work will always exist. It's just similarly to abortions it's if you criminalize it it's just going to stop existing safely and it's going to force people into positions where they're going to do what they need to do and if they have to do it illegally they will and making sex work illegal in all forms just it makes it dangerous it makes it so dangerous it makes it so clients are not held accountable for their actions they often abuse their power and will rob or rape or beat and sometimes murder sex workers and these workers are put in a position where they cannot rebuttal in any way. They can't go to the police. They cannot get justice. And then that person who do those terrible things is still out in the world and capable of doing them again. And it just puts the workers in a place where they do not have power. And ultimately, sex worker rights are labor rights. It's one of those, if, if a worker is being abused in the system that they exist in, the right response is not to simply banish that worker and say that they aren't allowed to do their job anymore. It's to give them more rights yep. and give them protections and put those in place yep. so they can thrive and be in a better space with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I really loved the comparison of uh, two abortions because it really kind of helps it helps me wrap my head around it a little bit more where it, it, is, is very similar in the, in the regard that de- or criminalizing abortions makes it 
doesn't make it go away. They're not going to stop. And they're just going to be, there's going to be far more unsafe. And that's the same thing with, with sex work. Sex work is not going anywhere. It's one of the largest industries in the entire world, possibly the largest industry in the entire world. You know, it's, it's huge. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Not going anywhere. <laughs> no, not forever. Probably. Not forever. No, no, not, not, not as long as there are humans that are with parts, humans with parts, <laughs> there's going to be um, sex work and, and criminalizing it just makes it more dangerous for everybody involved. And it also, I think in America, it does really also in America blurs that line between sex work and sex trafficking because they're both being made criminal and illegal. And there are people that want to want to do it because of what makes them feel empowered and what pays their bills and they're they just want to do it safely <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's making it illegal is kind of dehumanizing too it's oh yeah the way people treat sex workers and it it shouldn't be that way it's it's a job treat it like a oh, job a, don't yeah, be weird job and you know i <laughs> i think i'm lucky in the sense that i grew up in a place where there was a lot of street workers like that's kind of what it was known for the area that I grew like I grew up right in Waikiki where there's a lot of of street workers in general um and so I got to be exposed to these women and talk to these women and be able to you know realize at a young age that these are these are humans <laughs> these are humans doing a job yeah <laughs> absolutely respect, you know and so from a young age I've I've always kind of understood that and that's just from the exposure and so that's kind of what we're here trying to do here today is just give people that exposure that sex workers are humans that they deserve yeah deserve we're here we right. exist yeah. <laughs> not so scary not the not, not not scary. under your bed yeah <laughs> exactly so I, I'm I'm really thankful that you that you came and gave us your time um and I do have like I said have a couple questions from uh my followers to you they're they're not anything crazy or big or I guess one's kind of crazy you don't have to necessarily answer we can start with it if you'd like and then you can tell us if you would like to tap out but you've might have seen that we're doing this interview not planned this this interview was scheduled before this happened but in the midst of some TikTok sex work drama um <laughs> oh I think I know what you might be talking about um, uh I don't I don't know if I should say they're at but a uh younger sex worker yeah yeah you saw you you know yeah it, younger sex worker um has some stories that uh have some of the other community, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I've heard from some of the other community that they feel like those stories are stigmatizing. Um, and, you know, obviously this is a young sex worker who might be fabricating some of these things. Uh, do you have a perspective on it? <laughs> um, so the first thing I will say is, um, I know the account you were talking about is a stripper and I am not a stripper, so I'm not going to have as good of a perspective on it as a lot of my friends who are strippers who I've heard talking about it quite a lot. Okay. Um, it is not my place to really decide whether somebody is being truthful or not. Um, I do think that this person has a lot of pretty kind of wild and obscene stories that have happened within their first year of being in the industry. Um, I know they kind of after the started talking mentioned that they kind of loosely got into the industry when they were actually underage and we're talking about that. A lot of people that's my who issue. know her. That's my big issue of it is that, that 
that she is now blurring that line that we just talked about as a very, it should be a very solid black line. And that's kind of being blurred in these stories. Yes. And I totally understand not wanting to originally bring that up. And if you're at a place where you're like, okay, I was originally, you know, kind of trafficked into this when I was younger and I didn't want to be, and it was non-consensual, but now I'm not in that situation and I'm an adult and I like it. And I want to discuss my experiences in this industry, but not necessarily have to bring up my past, which I think is totally valid if that's Mm -hmm. the case. Um, But I also know like a lot of people who know her from her personal life have come forward and been like, um, she is lying about a lot of stuff. And, uh, I know people, I don't necessarily, (laughs) um, I know like people were talking about saying that like in high school, she like lied about having cancer and like all kinds of stuff and all of that. So I don't know this woman. I don't have a full perspective. I have seen a lot of her TikToks. Um, I think a lot of them are kind of outlandish. And I do think it's important to know that a lot of crazy things do happen in the adult entertainment industry. There are some wild things that happen. Um, But a lot of things she's talking about are pretty insane to have happened to one person in a very short period of time. Um, And that any club would permit that many things to happen or to have a dancer there who brings that much trauma or whatever it may be. And telling stories like that, if they are not truthful, actually does hurt the industry. It continues to play into that stereotype of it being inherently dangerous and dramatic and just like all of these crazy things. And while it's important to discuss kind of the cons and the dangerous aspects that can happen, to just sit and only focus on those and dwell and make up stories for it for clout is actually kind of problematic. It's like, I don't want people to like clout profit off of the very real traumas that people in my industry face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's, that was the, whole thing I was hoping that I would get from you is because that's kind of where I'm sitting too is I, I I'm not going to make a judgment on if it's true or false I don't know the person I can't I can't I don't have I'm not a fucking human lie detector I don't know yeah exactly <laughs> I have no fucking, idea yeah I have no idea but I do think that such um, stigmatizing stories and such dramatic stories can have this really negative effect and you know, I, I never followed, uh, never followed the account. I just kind of saw it every once in a while. I thought she was really cute. And I was like, oh, you're cute. But there was this weird aspect of, I feel like there's a lot of stories here that might be kind of harmful to the community. And, and if, you know, if they are real, then maybe we should be talking about them in a different sense, instead of them being like this super drama story time. Maybe they can be taught, like said, in a, in a way that's like, here's something that happened. Here's how we can learn from it if that makes sense, yeah. you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's that. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, now for some, some better questions, less, less drama. Um, one <laughs> that got asked a lot was, what precautions do you take as a sex worker? Um, especially like we just talked about you, uh, you know, kind of got fucked this year with, with new laws being implemented in America. So how do you keep yourself safe and keep yourself going? Um, so I mostly do online work, so I will preface with that, especially during COVID, I am only doing online work. Um, so a lot of what I do is focused around keeping my identity secret. I do use a stage name, um, which helps with a lot of things. It obviously makes it so it's harder for people who know me in my personal vanilla life to find me Mm -hmm. and my work, but also the main part of that, because I, I am pretty open about my job. I don't care that much when people find out, but, um, is so clients don't know my personal information and they can't track me down or whatever. So one thing is I obviously, I use a stage name. Like I said, any accounts and stuff that I'm making, I sign up for with those stage names and I use separate email accounts that are not related to anything to me personally. So I always recommend people make two different email accounts. I do one that's kind of a public email. So if you 
do payment apps, which you really like aren't supposed to, I won't <laughs> encourage it, but sometimes, sometimes people do, and I'm not going to discourage that either. Like you do what you need to just be aware of the risks, kind of a, a public address that you can give people. So like, if you want people to send you like Amazon gift cards to an email account or send you money or whatever, it can go to that email and it's public. And then also to have a private email address. That's the email you use to sign up for websites. And I recommend keeping that one a secret because at some point in time, someone will try and hack your account. Yeah. And if you have it be a separate email that you're not already using publicly, it makes it a lot harder for them to get in Yeah. because they don't I, already have half of your info. Yeah. I, uh, when you said that tip, I made a, a private it's email that no one knows so that I could utilize it for myself. Love it. Nobody yes. can hack me. I was like, bitch, got a point. I need to be doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant suggestion. Well, thank you. Um, it's lots yeah. of, lots of things like that. Just kind of along the lines of not being traced back to myself. Yeah. Um, like one thing I do that I'm very mindful of is um, like I the photos that I post on my sex work accounts, like the photos I'm posting on Twitter, you will not find them on any of my personal social media accounts. Because if you are using the same photos, someone can do like a reverse image search and find your stuff, which is kind of spooky. Um, and I also keep all of my personal accounts like on private. They're all yeah. private. I try not to use, I, I, I get a little paranoid with it. <laughs> um, I'd like try not to use my real name anywhere online, honestly. And like, I don't really keep current profile photos of me just just as like extra precautions or like if my friends post photos, I tell them not to tag me. Sometimes people will comment on other people's photos and be like, is that goddess ambrosia? And I'm like, mm, bitch, you don't know me. You don't need yeah. to bring that up. Um, but so you do kind of have like a, a Finsta or whatever it may be that you can have your, have your vanilla, quote unquote vanilla life. And then you have your public online persona and that's kind of how you go about it. What yeah, it's yeah. good to have a separation from work and personal life. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Very needed. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Do you think that you'll stay in the industry for? I don't know if I'll be here for life. It's been really good for me and I plan to stay here at least for another while. Yeah, that was one of the things that I like saw as I was reading that people that were in the industry for a bit longer were less likely to want to leave after a certain amount of time because they were ready or understood it a bit more because there definitely is a uh, lack of education for a lot of people when they first enter, especially street work, obviously. There is a, a lack of resources or understanding. You know, I think that you've said it before on your TikTok of how there, the, this industry, how the sex work industry is one of the few places where the the seniors or the veterans, I should say, are the ones that are like supposed to teach the newbie, newbies like without pay, like without. <laughs> like, it's really weird. It's, it's really weird. It's one of the only industries. Yeah. Like you're saying, it's one of the only industries where that's expected and people get so weird about it. Um, Cause it's insane. And people will come up and like ask me how to get started in the industry w with having done like zero research, like absolutely zero. They'll just be like, how do I do it? I'm like, can you be any more specific at all yeah. than just how do I do this? And it's, it gets like weirdly entitled, like wanting to ask for advice is fine, but also accept that someone might not want to give you advice or they might want to charge you for it or whatever. But like, it's not like you can't teach yourself. Like there are a lot of resources available to learning the industry. And I think it's very odd that people feel entitled to just kind of demand like full blown tons of energy and mentorship from like complete strangers. And then they're like, oh, you don't, 
support girls. Like, what happened to women supporting women? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Find the correlation for me because I don't see it. Right. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people join the sex work industry and quit really, really quickly. Um, yeah. And for some people, that quickly is literally like a week. And some people will do it for like a couple months. I would love to see statistics sometime, but like you said, they're kind of hard to come by. How fast that turnover rate is because yeah, a lot of like the veteran sex workers have been here for a while and aren't really going anywhere. Yeah. But I would say like at least 50% of the people who join the industry quit within like three months. Yeah. I, like I, it's, it's I, a lot of people. I saw some statistic for it in like the New Zealand report, which I, I said it in the intro to this podcast, but if, out of all the resources that I will have linked for this episode, I would put some energy into reading the New Zealand report, at least the first bit of it, like the first 20 pages or whatever, because it really summarizes everything that we kind of discussed, the different forms of decriminalization, what legalization has looked like, what they're doing. And there are some stats on people coming in, the turnover rate, the, the, the rate at which sex workers are far still to this day, or sorry, street workers are still the most disadvantaged of any sex worker. They are the ones that report the most amount of rape, the most amount of clients not paying, the most amount of uh, physical violence, you know, so all those stats are in that, in the New Zealand report. So um, I would definitely, uh, of all of them, if you're listening, that's the one that you should go and check out because it just really has a lot of comprehensive um, and, and digestible. It's not written in a way like there are some some jargon that you might have to like Google once or twice, but really it's it's written in a way that I think is digestible for the vast majority of people. Um, if you can listen to me talk, you can read this, <laughs> read this report. Um, but yeah, there, there were some stats on that about how uh, I think it was like 47% or something like that. Um, don't quote me on that number because I, I read the whole report and it's over 200 pages and there are a lot of numbers. In it. <laughs> I was just so intrigued with how exactly they went about it in New Zealand. So I just ended up reading the whole thing like crazy person. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was like around 47% where we're leaving up it was in the first year, yeah. which is, yeah, a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a crazy turn. That's a crazy turnover rate. Definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons too, why a lot of people are kind of maybe more hesitant to just kind of give every single person they talk to advice because it's like, yeah. Oh, am I going to talk to you for five hours and then you're going to be gone in a day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you need kind of more of a understanding that this is going to be a, a real thing or if it's just like somebody's interest. So I, maybe that's the takeaway is if you are interested, if you're, if you're hearing this and you're interested in, in sex work, do your research first before you're starting to reach out to a veteran and being like, help me. Um, Please. Cause I, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I think that veterans would be there to be supportive that you guys, you know, obviously it's, it's an industry that you guys are, you know, is competitive. I'm sure. I'm sure there is some competition. Like that's every industry has their little <laughs> competitions. That's 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 not just <laughs> the sex work industry. That's everywhere. Everywhere is you know competitive. But at the end of the day, you are a team kind of. You're you know in the same industry, and I think that there would be people that are willing to help or answer your questions if they're intelligent questions if they're questions like I've done all this research here's something that I'm still really confused about would you mind like helping me understand a little bit more that's so much of a a attainable question for a sex answer a sex worker to answer than like what do I do yeah it's how do I do it it's a lot better to be direct it you know gives a starting point of something to actually answer and kind of shows that you like have actually put some of your own research and like thought and work into it which is nice um yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the last question that I have for you, and probably the one that I think is possibly the cutest, but obviously people are really big fans of yours. When people heard that I was doing this interview, everyone was very fucking excited. The amount, oh, of, reactions, yeah, so cute. <laughs> the amount of reactions that I had back of being like, no fucking way. I was like, no, really, I promise you. Um, uh, one that people asked was, you are non-binary, uh, but you are a financial dominatrix. You go by goddess ambrosia. How do you manage that? How do you manage your subs kind of being uh, respectful of your pronouns? How do you manage coming off, you know, as this goddess, but but being non-binary and, and, and having that feeling? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is just kind of personal preference on where I stand with things and I don't know. This, this is a question I have to give some thought to. Because um, <laughs> honestly, gender is still something that like, there's a lot of understanding that I still need to do with it. It's something mm-hmm. I've been exploring for a while and still don't know all the answers to, but I personally do enjoy the term goddess. It's, you know, kind of a gendered piece of language that I'm totally okay with. Mm-hmm. It's part of my title. I'm fine when people use it. I don't necessarily like when people decide to give me random honorifics in general, but especially when they are hypergendered, like when people start calling me like, mistress or mommy when they haven't talked to me about it that sort of thing yeah it's normally just kind of what it is it's for me being non-binary is not about trying to like I'm not trying to present androgynously by any means um I am okay a lot of the time I am super hyper femme and that's normally how I present when I am in my ambrosia headspace Mm -hmm. and that for me doesn't make me feel any less like valid in my non-binary identity it's just a side of my gender expression so yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh well that was incredible thank you again so 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 much for your time um thank you so much yeah thanks uh, for having me and kind of giving me a platform to discuss sex work and all of that I, I think it's a, obviously a really important thing to talk about, and I'm so glad that I did this episode because I'm so glad that I got to have the knowledge and got to spend the time learning because it really blew my mind learning a lot of the things that I, you know, from an outside perspective, were just like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, legalize it. Why not? Regulate it. And then when you really start to re- read into it, you're like, oh, wait, 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 I'm fucking wrong. Like, oh, no. <laughs> um, so I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming um, again. Uh, drop us your handles one last time so that everybody can find you uh, because I think that's really important. I hope that, you know, if uh, people go and uh, check out your OnlyFans, hopefully go subscribe to that because uh, you're really hot. Woo, <laughs> 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 <I> thank you. <laughs> Um, but I agree. Subscribe to my OnlyFans. I'm really hot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Um, but yeah, you're, you're pretty much all over the place as Ambrosia. I think right now it's Ambrosia 2.0 on TikTok. TikTok, Rest in peace. Yeah. So you can find, um, Twitter is a really good home base for me. Um, my Twitter at is Miss L Ambrosia. Um, L is spelled just E-L. Um, and from there, I do have a link to me that goes to all my other stuff. It'll take you to my OnlyFans page. I have a free AVN Stars link on there. Um, also, if you are somebody who's interested in like starting an OnlyFans page and my advice has been helpful to you, there's a referral code that'll also take you to my TikTok account, which is Ambrosia 2.0. Yes. Well, thank you so much again for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and that's all we got. <laughs> Well, that was an interview and a half. The amount that I got to learn from Goddess Ambrosia, 
afterwards I was like, I feel like I owe you several nudes. Like you blew my mind with information that I didn't know. And I spent days, days reading on this topic. I read that entire research article that I talked about multiple times in this interview at the beginning of this podcast. I said that you should read the report from New Zealand, the research article from New Zealand. I read that whole 200 plus pages. I really got in depth with this subject and I was still learning things from Goddess Ambrosia, which I think just goes to show how much a person on the inside of an industry can teach us how as much as I can read and learn from an outsider's perspective, there's so much more that somebody that's in the industry can bring to the table. And that's why I'm so, so thankful that we had them on this podcast to help us get that nuance and to help us understand a little bit better. I feel so so honored to have gotten to do that interview. And I feel like you should feel honored to get to listen to it. In all honesty, to be able to have that information and get that nuance and just all of the insider ideas and how that the different regulations, even in the United States, I didn't even think about the regulations in the United States, really. I was thinking globally. I was like, the United States is just terrible. And then they were like, it's even more terrible than you think it is. Wild. That was so wild to me. But again, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was so important, and I think that this subject is one that needs to be continually talked about, and I hope that you play this episode with somebody that needs to hear it, or that you provide the infographics that will be up on the Instagram with somebody that needs to see them, uh, because this needs to be discussed much more frequently. We need to be having these conversations, and not just with people in our lives, but with our representatives, with our legislators, saying that, hey... <laughs> Keeping sex work criminalized is dangerous for sex workers, and we're not going to stand that anymore. We want a progressive environment. We want a progressive society where sex work is decriminalized and allowed to function because it's going, it's going, not going anywhere. We, we recognize that. Um, I want to drive home one more time to go check out the outline on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McKenzie, uh, because seeing the resources, you really get a little bit more understanding as you're seeing the actual numbers and the somewhat data that there is. So definitely go check out those resources and absolutely go and check out Goddess Ambrosia. All of their links will be in the description of this podcast, including their OnlyFans link, absolutely in the description of this podcast. Go check it out. Uh, They are very, very, very very hot. Uh, Great, great ass. So uh, worth worth it to go go just stare at the the nice ass. Just just stare at the nice ass. (laughs) Maybe be bullied a little bit if that's your thing. If you just need some, need a really, really hot person to bully you down a little bit, this is the right person. (laughs) Um, So definitely go check them out. I, I feel so honored to have had them on this podcast. We have some episodes coming up about Uh, body positivity and body shaming. We have some stuff coming up about Hawaii. We have some stuff coming up about polyamory. There are some amazing episodes to come up. So remember to subscribe to this podcast, rate it if you are in the Apple podcast. uh, If that's how you listen is in Apple podcast, make sure you're rating it. Subscribe, download, do all of the things. And thank you so, so, so much for listening. I can't wait for the next episode. I will talk to you next time.